Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Thank you all for being here today. Now we know who doesn't have a second home up north. I guess I should, no, I'm just kidding. That's, I shouldn't have said that, but I'm glad you're all here today, and um, I believe that we have a good word to share. Um, I was just joking with my wife saying, well, fireworks don't start till about 10 o'clock tonight, so we got a long time. We can go as long as we want, and, uh, but hey, today is Independence Day, and I want to acknowledge that on the front end this morning. Um, I want to acknowledge all of my fellow youth pastors who are also preaching today. And uh, I talked to a bunch of my friends, and they said, hey, my pastor is going up north too. And I said, hey, we're all doing it today. So happy July 4th to all the youth pastors out there. And uh, guys, we're going to be talking about a little bit about uh, Jesus. And Well, Pastor Rob already shared everything that we're going to be talking about. But um, today's Independence Day, and so I want to acknowledge that on the front end. You know, despite all the challenges that we see around our country, and as we saw in the video at the beginning, you know, God has blessed us to be able to live in a country where our needs are met, you know, life can flourish, and freedom is found. Amen? You know, I know that there are still needs in this country. Everything is not perfect, of course, but we live in a country that truly is blessed by God. And so today we want to honor our country and our forefathers, and we continually want to remember our country in prayer. And so Just at the very beginning, why don't we bow our heads and we'll just pray for our leaders again and just acknowledge God and and all the blessings that he's given us today. So God, we just thank you uh, for what this day represents. Lord, Independence Day. Uh, Lord, we have religious freedom. We have all kinds of freedoms that we are so grateful for. And Lord, we pray for our leaders. We pray for those who you have put over us. And Lord, we thank you for uh, their service. And Lord, we pray that you would lead and guide them, Lord. Even if they don't know you, we know that your hand can orchestrate even people that don't know you. And so, Lord, we honor you. We thank you for this place. And God, we do ask that you would bless our country once again. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today, we're going to be talking about a much greater freedom than we experience even here in the USA. And so... I want to open up by saying there are usually two different types of paths that people come to Jesus on. One is kind of more of a blatant and and radical sin, right? Maybe uh, we often associate these with, uh, you know, maybe substance abuse, maybe drug abuse, maybe uh, all different kinds of, of kind of more obvious sins, if you will, right? There's this path. And I think in this building, this is the less, less traveled path, but there are some, in fact, that took this path. I think on the other side, the other path that is very common is people who come to Jesus but live, live and have, have come to him in a more uh, through subtle sense, right? There's a lot of sins in their life, but nobody really sees those things. Things are, you're kind of polished, but there's things going on internally. And so, you know, we often see whether it's this way outward sin or this inward sin. These are kind of usually the paths that we are able to come to Jesus on. And so I want to ask, I want you to think about and reflect, where would you find yourself if those were the only two ways? You know, again, I think most people take the more, not take the more, but are kind of in more of the inward subtle sin. We don't really know from seeing you, from knowing your story about what's going on in your heart. But there are some that are on the either side. Regardless of where you come from, 
Jesus is going to be responding to both of these paths in our scripture passage this morning. Both are gonna be on display. So no matter where you came from, whether you grew up in the church or you grew up far away from the church as you can, right, Jesus is gonna be addressing both of those this morning. And so I want you guys to, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter nine. We're gonna be looking in verses nine through 13. Matthew 9, 9, and 13. And just before this passage, Jesus has been busy healing, stopping storms, you know, the usual, casting out demons, and teaching with authority, right? Finally, somebody came on the scene that was teaching with authority. And really, I think what's interesting is that despite all the miracles, one of the things that really blew people's mind about Jesus is that he taught as one with authority, right? They had been reading this book and rehearsing this book and singing it and, and posting it or uh, putting it on their heads and their hands and things like that. But finally, someone came that taught it with authority. And that's what Jesus has been doing. He's been blowing people's minds. And so, you know, people, especially the Jews, they've come and they've expected Jesus to be the Jewish savior, which Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't fit into the nice, perfect box of the Jewish Messiah like people expected, because he's also been giving some attention to the Gentiles. Anybody thankful for that today? I know I am. My fellow Germans, right? We're thankful for that. Not only that, but this rabbi who is supposed to be only with honorable people has been hanging out with fishermen and demon-possessed and lepers and soon to be even worse. And if you will, I, I kind of like this statement, the Savior was polluting their religion, right? Take a minute and think about that. I think the Jews and the, and the Pharisees and the religious elite probably saw that the Messiah was, even though they didn't acknowledge him as Messiah, was probably polluting their religion. How many know that if Jesus is polluting our religion, we're doing it all wrong, <laughs> And so I'm gonna show you a video today, not just yet, about the passage that we're dealing with, and it's gonna be the calling of Matthew the tax collector, and so I wanna, rem I wanna remind you or maybe tell you for the very first time what a tax collector was in the Jewish society. We hear things like this, but what was a tax collector? Is it like a, like a, a, tax, a tax man today? Is it like someone who works for, I don't know, Plant Moran or something like that? You know, is it, it was, it, that's an inside joke. Uh, is, is it somebody that maybe works for the IRS? No, not, not really, right? Tax collectors were a lot more um, underhanded work. And so, you know, tax collectors were among the most hated people in the society. To begin with, they're traitors to their own nation because they sold themselves to the Romans to work for the government. All right, I wanna give us an illustration that is very July 4th appropriate. All right, imagine back in the 1760s, and this is not yet the United States of America. I honestly don't know what it was called before that. Can anybody help me out? Colonies, sure, yeah, Colonies. And so um, imagine this, that the British are imposing, let's say, you know, a heavy tax on things like tea or something like that, right? There's this heavy tax and, you know, people here in the colonies are not too crazy about paying, you know, a bunch of tax on their tea because everybody needs tea and nobody wants to pay extra on it. That's how you know we're a British colony. And so the British are imposing the heavy tax and a tax collector would have been sort of like an American 
who lived here and was in fact running to your house, knocking on the door saying, you're gonna pay me extra for the, t- for the tea that you just drank, right? Let's, let's picture in the American terms since it's July 4th. And so all of a sudden, it's a traitor, right? It's somebody that's saying, hey, I thought you were one of us, but really they're collecting money from you to pay off the government. And so, you know, in the days, it's the same thing, right? These Jewish people were sold themselves to the Romans and said, I'll do the dirty work and I'm gonna take some money off the top. And so that's what a tax collector is at the time, right? And so let's build up the emotion in us. Oh, we just hate them, right? Let's relate to them. Tax collectors were terrible. They stole your money. They sold themselves to the Romans and were destroying our country, if you will. And so let's see in this video how Jesus responds to a Jewish trader called Matthew the tax collector. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you gonna do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going, guys? Let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. Put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Watch again. So yeah. that's what else are you gonna do? Get used to different. I love that theme. And that's from the TV series called The Chosen. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it. And they came out with shirts, get used to different. And that's really what Jesus is doing all throughout the Gospels, right? He's introducing something far different from the thousands of years of Jewish 
and Mosaic law and things like that. And so today, let's jump into the passage. We are going to be, uh, again, in Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. And we're just going to read, we have three points today. We're just going to read the first verse, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And let's pause there. You know, I was thinking about, I love that video, and I was thinking about where should I show this in the message, but I really want us to have a picture of what's going on. You know, this, of course, is, you know, somebody's interpretation of how it looked, how Matthew was, how Peter reacted, saying, like, what, you're gonna invite him? And things like that. But I think it gives us a good picture of how it really was um, to invite a tax collector in. And so, you know, my first point today is that Jesus pursues sinners, all right? Jesus pursues sinners. You might notice that Jesus did not necessarily go to the academic elite of the society, right? He's got dirty fishermen uh, in, that, in that video. You might have noticed a woman behind that was Mary Magdalene who had seven demons cast out of her, right? And then now he's going to the tax collectors, you know, the guy stealing your money. You know, imagine this. Jesus is taking a huge risk. What would a rabbi do at the time? A rabbi would go to the seminaries, if you will, would go to the synagogues and would find people who knew the, the law. He would find people that were going to advance his career. He would find people that would benefit him. Jesus is doing the exact, well, seemingly opposite, right? He's going to people that are gonna probably be much of a liability to him. And in fact, all throughout Jesus' ministry career, we see them making mistakes, you know, like cutting people's ears off, betraying their own savior, things like that. Imagine this liability that Jesus is taking, but he sees that there is potential in these people. You know, why not choose Pharisees to at least have good backgrounds? Jesus could have gone to the people and he could have probably influenced them to change their minds as well, but he went for the dirty, the gross, the looked over, the hated people and called them as his disciples. You know, let's be honest, Matthew did not deserve this, right? He's still hiding behind the bars, uh, stealing people's money, still kind of in service to the Roman government. He hasn't turned away from it. He hasn't changed. He hasn't given money back. He hasn't earned anything. Yet Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me. I'll show you even a better way. And so because Jesus pursues people, people can follow. That's important for us to understand, right? Jesus, God is the one who is doing the drawing and the calling, and we have the opportunity to respond, right? Jesus is pursuing the sinners, and amazing things can happen when people follow Jesus, right? Anybody seen any good stories of this? Anybody seen any good stories of people who were once far from God and when they, cha- they, they decided to turn and give their lives to Jesus, amazing things happen? Anybody? Those with a clear record and those with an unclear record, a stained record, if you will, no matter if you're coming from that blatant sin or that subtle sin, it still takes the same turning towards Jesus, the same yielding towards Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Each person must have that moment like Matthew where Jesus calls them and they say yes. Right? It's not enough, hey, hey guys, middle schoolers, high schoolers, elementary students, it's not enough that your mom or your dad brings you to church. It's not enough that you might be coming to the youth camp hopefully next week. Right? It's not enough that you are just here. It's not even enough that you sing worship songs. It's a saying yes to Jesus. Have you said yes? Have you chosen to give your heart and to follow Jesus? And I'll say, I can talk to younger people, but some of y'all have been 
right? We've been sitting in this church for years, for decades. Have you made that choice to actually turn and give your life to Jesus? Because you can like Christianity, you can like the church, but do you know the king, right? Do you know the king? And so Jesus pursues sinners. Every, every person must have that moment where they say yes. There was, a, there was a couple that Taylor and I met when we were at school in Chicago, and um, they became pretty good friends of ours, and actually, and after, after school, they, they were from the Grand Rapids area, they decided that, you know what, uh, there was a missionary that came in from Thailand and said that we need missionaries in Thailand. You know, a lot of people are, and a lot of people are going to the capital, Bangkok, Thailand, in the south, but we need missionaries in North Thailand. And so uh, my, you know, our friends, they decided that they were gonna answer the call. And actually they've been over in Thailand for a couple of years and we get monthly updates saying, it's really hard over here. It's really hard over here. Please pray for our team. Please pray for us, right? The, the one church that's in our area like, has some turmoil and we need to pray for the church because they don't have a bunch of options to go to, right? They can't just move a mile down the road. They need uh, they need prayer for those people. And so why am I telling you this? Because they gave up everything, right? Especially the girl, uh, the wife, I should say, um, she, her family was not Christians at all. And so she made this decision uh, to drop kind of out of uh, her professional career and to become a missionary to Thailand. And her family's, what are you nuts? What are you guys crazy? But they encountered Jesus and they said yes. And they said, we are giving up everything. And that's the same thing that Matthew is doing right here. He's trading in everything, money, riches, power for Jesus. And so have you answered the call today? Have you answered the call? Have you been willing to give up your life to follow Jesus? Because Jesus pursues you. Jesus pursues sinners. And so let's go to the next verse, verses 10 and 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, the tax collector's house, the hated man's house. While he was having dinner at his house, many more tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We're gonna leave it at that. We'll, we'll figure that out in a minute. What does Jesus say? But first, Jesus pursues sinners, but secondly, I want you to know that Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus communes with sinners. And again, this is wrong for a rabbi to do. Um, I think often, in, if, if, you're a, if you're a New Testament reader, which I hope you are, we get, a, we get a picture that these Pharisees are just sticks in the mud. You know, they're just annoying. They're always bothering Jesus. They're always this, that, and the other thing. But really, the perspective that we should have is the, they're, they're keeping the law. Right? They're doing kind of what they were supposed to do, but Jesus started breaking boundaries that they had never seen before. And so, you know what? The Pharisees are really not sticks in the mud. They're just the law keepers. They're doing what they're supposed to do, so let's give them a break. They're doing their job. But Jesus came for much greater purpose. And so, um, I think eating with people at the same table is really powerful because all are equal at a table, Right? Everyone has to eat. Nobody can live life without eating. And so, you know, all must chew and, you know, sometimes choke on their food maybe. Um, all spill on their shirts, maybe just me. Um, all burp, right? Let's be real. Like Jesus is getting down to this vulnerable place where all of a sudden, you know, he's eating. He's, he's <laughs> I don't know, choking, burping, chewing, whatever it is. Maybe he even makes those annoying mouth noises. And, uh, 
But this, this vulnerability to sit down at a table and to have dinner, right, creates an intimacy, right? And this is something that the Pharisees were definitely not willing to do with people like those dirty tax collectors. You know, Jesus is choosing to be identified with sinners. He knew, he knew people were gonna be watching, right? Jesus was the most watched man probably in all of Israel at the time, but he was not ashamed. He was not ashamed to be doing what he was doing at that party. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. What, what did I used to do at parties that kind of uh, brought me shame? And so I remember, you know, when I was younger, you know, I would have to ask my parents, hey, can I have a pop, right, a soda, if you will? You know, and so I would say, hey, mom, can I have another pop? And, you know, she would say, yeah, go ahead. And so what I would do, maybe you guys never knew this, I would run over to the fridge and I would crack one open and drink the entire thing, throw it out, and then come over with another one and sit down at the table. So every time she said yes to one, I was actually drinking two, which I now realize was 100 grams of sugar, and I'm glad I'm still alive. Um, but it was kind of like I was ashamed of it, and I'm chugging pop in the corner so I don't get caught and in trouble. I don't think I would have gotten in trouble. I'd probably just been like, what are you doing? Like, that's ridiculous. But um, I'm, I was kind of like hiding in the corner, ashamed of what I was doing. Jesus is at the party, and he's not ashamed of what he's doing. He's, he's right out in the open, right? They didn't have probably blinds and windows the way we do. They probably just had a hole in the house, and he could, they could see what was happening. Everybody knew Jesus was at the house. He didn't care. He wasn't a people pleaser. He was a life changer. Jesus is relaxed and in fact, it says he's even reclining at the table. There's no fear in his mind what people are gonna think. And so not only did Jesus have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Matthew, but he says, you know what? Bring all your friends, tax collectors, sinners, criminals, all the worst of the worst are showing up. Thieves and drunkards are eating with the Savior. Jesus was not too good for sinners. In fact, Jesus eats with sinners. That's my second point. And let's go and let's see how Jesus responds when he's approached and says, what are you doing? What are you doing eating with those people? Let's see in verses 12 and 13. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this passage of Jesus is just pushing back on everything that has formed from the Mosaic law, right? This is not the heart of God. The heart of God was never to separate yourself from sinners so that you don't become unclean. Rather, it was for your own good. But eventually, it, came, it got to the point where people were so separated, the people of God were so separated from the actual people in the world that it really became what we come to know as a religion, right? There's no relationship. It's really just a religion, a bunch of rules, a bunch of legalism. And so, um, Jesus heals sinners is my third point today. You know, this is much deeper than a physical healing as well. I think when we hear healing in the church, right, we're often thinking about uh, physical healing, right? And how many know a lot of us need physical healing? A lot of families need physical healing. But at the same time, there is a much deeper, a much more important healing that has to take place in every human being's soul. And that's that your sins can be forgiven. That's that your sins can be forgiven, that your purpose is found, and that you have life forever, right? There is a different kind of healing, a much more important kind of healing that Jesus was after with these people. And so, you know, Mr. Rob Susan in the Treehouse video was talking about the hospital room, and that's what Jesus is introducing. 
right? Instead of trying to be separate from all those lepers who just should stay out of town, right? Jesus is walking up to them. He's putting, he's, he's risking his reputation. I guess he's risking health, even though he probably can heal himself. But that's what Jesus instituted. And so he's not looking for a perfectly put together, made up face, but rather one who's in tears, brokenness, and authenticity, right? Do you hear the heart of Jesus in this passage? Do you hear the heart of Jesus? Do you, are you able to separate maybe how maybe you grew up, how your original understanding of what religion was to actually understand in the very heart of Jesus? I hope that you can do that today. I hope that you can see Jesus is kind, Jesus is gentle, Jesus is loving and he's, and he's caring, right? And I'll, I'll say at the same time, the only time that Jesus was really harsh was with the people who were the religious people, right? You know who he was really gentle with? You know, the woman with five husbands, the people that were uh, sinners. That's who Jesus was gentle with. I think we do the opposite a lot of times. And so Jesus is a doctor, right? He, he diagnoses, he knows the standard, and he provides the medication. But what's different about you know, our doctors today, Dr. Joe and Dr. Jesus? Dr. Joe gives you something to improve your life where Jesus gives himself and he is our life, right? And so maybe you're like, wow, that was cheesy. Maybe, but that's the truth, right? Jesus is the medication. Jesus gives us his life. You know, I want you to know that salvation is not something that Jesus gives you. Jesus gives him self to you, and he is our salvation, right? We can't have, we can't receive salvation apart from Jesus. It's all one and the same. He is our life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he doesn't say, take some Tylenol. He says, righteousness and a better way, follow me. And Jesus desires mercy and sacrifice. This should blow our minds too. Jesus desires mercy and not sacrifice. Wait, isn't the whole like Old Testament about sacrifices? Aren't there really long books that at the beginning of a Bible plan take a long time to get through about sacrifices? Yeah, absolutely. And yet the heart of God is still mercy and not sacrifice. You know, do you view God? I wanna ask you today, do you view God as angry and ready to smite you if you sin? Are you scared of God that he's ready to just, just wipe you off this planet if you use so much as make a mistake? Because I can tell you what, Pharisees did, and I can tell you that other religions like Muslims do, or I was just listening to a testimony of a man who was a Muslim and he followed after Allah, you know, and all that he did, he even you know, he even killed Christians because that's what he was told to do. And at the end of the day, he still didn't know what Allah's uh, opinion was gonna be of him. He still didn't know if he was gonna make it to heaven, right? Not only that, but karma does, right? Do you feel like if you make a mistake, all of a sudden karma's gonna chase you and bite you? I want you to know that there's a better way and, and, and that's not how God responds. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so, there's no condemnation. This is the best news that you can hear today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Even if you gave your life to, to the Lord as a young kid and all of a sudden for years, you're still struggling with you know, overcoming sin and you still make mistakes, guess what? That's what that scripture says. There's no condemnation for you, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's, that's the best news that we can hear today because how many times do we feel guilty? But he removes sin and guilt. And so God wants heart change, not sacrifice. He's after your heart, not your, not your sacrifice. 
And so Jesus heals sinners in a much deeper way than physical healing. And so that's our passage today. Now let's, let's jump into a little bit of a time of what does this mean to us, right? We like to ask the question, so what? So what, Matthew followed Jesus? What does that mean to us in 2021? Well, I have three points, three, three life apps, if you will. The first is that equality starts with Jesus. Maybe equality started with Jesus. You know, and I, and I chose that word on purpose. You know, we're just coming out of June, and I know equality in 2021 means a lot of different things, right? And so I chose a buzzword on purpose. It means a lot of different things in June. It means a lot of different things when you say equality and act, if you put those two words together. But I want you to know that equality started with Jesus. He says that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. He says there's neither slave nor free. He says there's neither male nor female when you're in Christ. All are one in Christ. All are equal in Christ. Does that mean we don't have our distinct properties? No, still a dude, right? But that doesn't mean anything other than we are all equal before God. And so whether you, at the, you remember what I was saying at the beginning, whether you took this, this pronounced uh, blatant path of sin, I don't care about God, I'll do whatever I want, or maybe you're more subtle, maybe it's been in the church, maybe you've, you've been struggling, you've been battling, isolated, alone, in the dark kinds of sin. All are sinners and all are equal before God. Nobody's worse than another in here. Nobody's better than another in here. And at the end of the day, the position that we have, you wanna know why none of us is better than another? Because we're all sinners, right? There are no classes other than guilty as charged, I need Jesus, right? And that's where we all stand today. And so what's our position? Do we have a position? So what's our position when it comes to equality? Are we prideful? No, absolutely not. In fact, we are humble, recognizing that we're sinners in need of a savior. And so true equality results in humility. So we're all equal. We're all in need of Jesus just as much as everyone else. And that's where real freedom and real equality comes from. Equality started with Jesus. The second is that all are welcome. All are welcome. What does that mean? I think all should be welcome in the church, right? Everybody should be welcome. If, everybody, if, if, if Jesus let Matthew in, I think we can't turn away anyone either. If Jesus ate with sinners, we can't reject anyone. If Jesus said, follow me before any repentance was ever made, we better not stand in the way of anyone chasing after the king. And so I want us to know today that there is a difference between love and acceptance, of course, but all are welcome and all are able to be loved. We should have that position today. And so no one is too damaged for Jesus. Can anyone say amen to that? No one is too damaged for Jesus. No one's made too many mistakes for Jesus, right? If Matthew, the tax collector, can sit and recline with Jesus and bring all his dirty friends as well, no one is too dirty for Jesus. All are welcome in the kingdom of God. All are welcome in the kingdom of God. Praise God. Praise God for that. Right, and so the last one, and this is the, this is the life app, this was the, the app that we saw on the phone today, is take a seat. What do I mean by take a seat? I skipped one very important detail, I think, in the passage, and that it's, it's this, that sinners were reclining with Jesus while Pharisees were standing outside of the home. Picture this position. 
Pharisees, or excuse me, sinners were reclining at the table with Jesus, relaxed, unashamed. Pharisees were outside the house, standing and judging. Right? What's wrong with this picture? You know, the religious people, the ones who cared about God, the ones who cared about upholding the laws of God, were standing outside judging the people that were with Jesus. Why is he with those sick people? What does he think he's doing? Does he not know that this is tarnishing the kingdom of God? Does he not know? We must understand that the most risky character to be with, to be, is the I got it all together guy. Let me say that again. We must understand that the most risky character that we can be in this story is the Pharisee standing on the outside saying, don't you know that you're not supposed to be doing that? Don't you know? Don't you know? Everyone else, and at the end of the story, this is the saddest part of the story. Everybody else, everybody else, the tax collectors, the sinners, the dirty people were able to be with Jesus, but not the religious man. And so at the end of life, who was farther from Jesus? Matthew, the tax collector and his buddies, or the religious man who said, don't you know? And so the irony, as we're thinking about, don't you know that the, the healthy, you know, are not the ones that go to the doctor, but the sick? The irony is that nobody's healthy, right? Let, let's acknowledge that no matter where we grew up, no matter how long we've been in church, nobody is forever, has forever been healthy, right? The thing is, is that the disease that the tax collectors had and the sinners had was more pronounced, maybe something on the skin, maybe leprosy, if you will, right? It's something you could see like, whoa, that person is sick, but the disease that the Pharisees has was much deeper, right? It was killing them from the inside. It was a slow growth, and they didn't see it at all, right? Nobody was actually healthy in the story, and Jesus did not come for the righteous because there are no righteous. There are no righteous. We are all sinners. We're all equal before God, equally ill, equally sick, equally in need of a Savior, so he had to come to call the righteous because there, he did not come to call the righteous because there were no righteous people, right? He came to call sinners and that included the Pharisees, though they didn't recognize it. They were just the same. And so if only they would have taken a seat with the king, what could have changed that day instead of standing outside, looking inside and saying, don't you know you're not doing the right thing? Don't you know that Jesus wouldn't approve you? Don't you know you can't wear that, can't say that, can't do that, can't hang out with those people? Instead of doing that, what if they would have just taken a seat with the king? What could have happened in their life? For us, I think, don't stand and judge. We don't want to be the stand and judge those who are on the outside. We don't stand and judge those who don't know Jesus. How could they do better if they don't know Jesus? Right? Instead, we want to take a seat with others as well. Invite them in and understand that you were a sinner at that table the same way that they were before Jesus. Whether you took a crazy road, whether you take an inward sin road, it doesn't matter. We're all the same before Jesus. So as we wrap up, I want you to know that Jesus came for the jacked up, not the just all right. Right? Jesus came for the pretty bad, not the pretty. Jesus came for the poor, not the polished. Jesus came for the rogue and the rowdy, not the righteous and the respectable. Jesus came for the sick, not the healthy. Jesus came for sinners, not the self-righteous. That's who our king is. That's who our king is. One who's looking for the underdog, one who's looking for the sick, one who's looking for the diseased, one who's looking all bad on the outside. That's who Jesus is after. That's who Jesus really loves. And one of the major things that can get in the way of us and Jesus is a pride. 
we got to lay down that pride. Let's not be a Pharisee this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his amazing grace today. Now, that table of Jesus is the great equalizer. The sinner deserves it as much as a self-righteous. And so as much as it seems like Jesus is rewriting the rules all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, really, he's reflecting the heart of God from the very beginning. He desires a changed heart more so than obedient law keeper, right? That's what, that's what we're at today. And so as you go today, I wanna read a passage just at the end of Jude that is just a blessing for you as you go. So to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.